Colossians chapter 1 says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. In him all things were created, and in him all things hold together. These words from Colossians are very similar to the words that John uses to describe Jesus in the first chapter of his gospel. No one has ever seen God. It is God's only Son who is close to the Father's heart who has made him known. From this Jesus come these words of encouragement to his disciples from the 14th chapter of the Gospel of John. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on you do know him and you have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, but if you do not, then believe because of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do and in fact will do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. During Lent, we are considering the I am statements of Jesus in John's gospel, where Jesus takes the identifying statement of God from the Hebrew Bible, I am, and follows it with something familiar. In John chapter 14, Jesus specifically says to his followers, to his disciples at the time of his departure, I am the way and the truth and the life. I grew up in West Texas in the 1970s, and my family almost every year found our way to the mountains of New Mexico or Colorado to ski. One of, our, one of my very first trips was to Breckenridge, Colorado, and on this trip I was probably seven or eight years old and still learning how to ski. I remember after a ski lesson, riding up the chairlift with my mom, my father and my brother were several chairs ahead, and as we approached the midway exit, I knew to pay attention, I knew to keep my ski tips up, but what I didn't know was we were getting off the lift, and I didn't get off. The rest of my family skied right off the ramp. 
But I missed my cue, and I missed my chance. As I rode to the top of the mountain, I could hear and see the confusion on the ground. Oh no, she didn't get off. She's headed to the top of the mountain. What do we do now? And I knew I was lost. How would I find my way? What I want you to know about this very familiar passage in the 14th chapter of John's gospel is that Jesus is speaking directly to his disciples whom he loves very much. And they are as disoriented and lost as I was on that ski lift many, many years ago. Jesus has come to the Passover meal with his disciples, and strangely enough, he's wrapped a towel around his waist and washed their feet. He's taken the posture of a servant, which completely throws Peter off, who says, you'll never wash my feet. Then he's so disoriented, he says, wash my head and my hands as well. While at the table, Jesus says that some of his very own Some there at the table will betray and deny him. And he ends with the news that he is leaving soon. And where he is going, they cannot go. They cannot follow. It's no wonder that their hearts are troubled. I miss having you here. I pray that you are well that you are caring for your family well, who is either far away from you or too close to you. At our house, we are well, but we're also very disoriented. So much has changed too quickly. So much is out of our control. And I find that I am desperately in need of and open to encouragement and comfort. This week, I've been lighting a candle in the room where I'm working. I, at one point during the week, read good information from NASA astronauts about how to handle isolation. And I've really loved and been inspired by the video images of people on balconies, uh, either singing, playing music, or cheering for healthcare workers as their shifts are changing. If you're worshiping this morning with us on Facebook, maybe you could take just a few seconds and share where you've found encouragement this week. Something that you've seen, something you've read, something you've heard, because I would love to see it too. God intends for every one of us to receive encouragement now and no matter what our circumstances are. I believe it. And the 14th chapter of John's gospel is evidence. The 14th chapter of John's gospel is nothing but comfort and encouragement. It's possible that some of these lines of scripture are very familiar to you. Have you ever heard, in my father's house there are many mansions? Or, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Or if in my name you ask for anything, I will do it. If you know these verses alone by themselves, that's unfortunate. Because lifted out of their context, 
which is definitely to comfort. These verses are easily misused to assume power and prestige, exclusivity and arrogance, none of which reflects the truth of who Jesus was or what he taught. One of my favorite New Testament scholars, N.T. Wright, says about John chapter 14, arrogance, arrogance is the denial of the very truth it claims to present. Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet, and he's on his way to give his life as the shepherd for the sheep. These words spoken with a sense of entitlement or superiority are nothing but empty words. They're meaningless because these words are definitely spoken to a disoriented, fearful group of disciples, and they are prefaced with the words, they begin with the words, do not let your hearts be troubled. Fred Craddock describes the disciples at this point in the gospel as children who are playing on the floor, who look up and they see that mom and dad are putting on their coats and headed out the door. We've all been there, and hopefully we'll be there again very soon. But the children only have three questions for their parents as they are leaving. Where are you going? Can I go too? And who's staying with us? Jesus says to his disciples, I am going to prepare a place for you. You cannot come yet, but I won't leave you alone. I will send a helper. When I was an eight-year-old on the ski lift, leaving the midway in a chair by myself, a man, a stranger to me, a few chairs behind, joined in the shouting that was happening. He yelled to my parents, stay there, I will bring her to you. And he said to me, don't worry, I'll help you. Don't go by yourself. And he did help me. He skied right beside me showing me how to get down the mountain safely and back to my family. The assurance from this I am statement in John's gospel is, there is a way for you. There is a way for you, even when you don't know the way, even when you can't see the way, the path is there for you. And the guide the helper, the advocate, the Holy Spirit will show you how to walk the path or ski the path. The Holy Spirit will show you the way because Jesus tells his disciples, you belong with me. Your place is with me and I will make sure, I will make certain that you find me. I remembered this week, a Christian classic that I read in seminary, a book called The Interior Castle by St. Teresa of Avila. It was written in the 16th century by a nun in Spain. She was 60 years old when she wrote it. Teresa had a number of cloistered communities for women under her supervision Under her care, she had a lot of responsibility, much to tend to, but the church placed a vow of obedience upon her, and with that vow, the request to write, write down what you're teaching people, write down what you're telling your followers. 
And she wrote, she wrote that the soul is like a castle. The soul is like a castle with many rooms or many mansions, and God dwells at the center. The interior castle is about moving through the many rooms, progressing through those rooms to the center of the soul where God dwells. Teresa was convicted that God always sees us with deep love and devotion, and that's not very surprising to modern ears. But what might be more surprising to us is that St. Teresa was also convicted that those who are closest to God know suffering. They know pain. Their lives are not without difficulty. They suffer with. They come alongside Jesus and they weep for the world. Pain is not a spiritual character flaw. It is not something to be avoided, but it is an invitation, an invitation to go where Jesus goes because there is a way through. There is always a way through, no matter how dark, no matter how deep. Did you see the video this week of the Nashville Choir singing remotely together, I think, on Zoom? It is well with my soul. It's worth the Google search if you haven't seen it. The hymn, It is Well with My Soul, was written in 1873 by Horatio Spafford. Spafford knew tremendous loss and suffering. The death of his four-year-old son a fire that ruined his family financially, and a shipwreck that killed all four of his daughters. After those events, he wrote the words, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. Whatever your lot, we are in this difficult time together. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. You, disciple, will get to the Father through me. Will you pray with me? Eternal God and great allower, you are always present to us. You know our hearts. You know our circumstances. You know our sorrows. Fill our days and our thoughts with your inspiration that we might find the way through, the way to you. We ask a blessing this day upon all those who care for our community and those who care for the sick during this health crisis. Grant them a double portion of your strength and your wisdom. We each ask for clear assurance of your presence, for clear paths to relieve suffering around us, and for clear hearts to suffer with those who are in need. Lord, you are humble. You are patient. You are compassionate. You are wise. We are grateful. Amen.